everyone, thank you so much for joining me today for another Neville Goddard Lecture. Hello and welcome. Today I will be reading Neville Goddard's lecture from 1964 titled, For Hatching. Neville tells his audience, well, tonight's subject is for hatching. There's a voice in man that if you listen to it and expect it, you will at rare intervals hear it. It's a voice of authority, and it never lies. Over the years I have heard this voice, it has never led me astray, and everything that is prophesied has come to pass, but everything. So, in silence, and you are not concerned, but you ask a question. It may come, or it may not come that night, but you ask the question. What is the purpose of it all? You do not question for one moment that God is, for you met God, and you know God, you were embraced. But this was a moment of not, I said, concern, just in not even an idle moment, you asked the question. What is the purpose of it all? And the voice answers, in the depth of your soul, for hatching. For hatching what? For hatching everything in the world. <clears throat> like a huge big egg, but specifically for hatching God. God in man brought to the surface as that man in whom he is buried, like the old hymn of Isaac Watts. Wrapped in the silence of the tomb, the great Redeemer lay, till the revolving skies bring the third, the appointed day. Now let me share with you an experience given me this week by a friend of mine where he was brought to the third, the appointed day. For the purpose of life is to find God, and God, when you find him, is God the Father. That's God. In many and various ways, we're told, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us through a son. Hebrews 1.1 1, 1. If he spoke to us through a son, then he's father. As we are told in the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, a son honors his father. If then I be a father, where is my honor? Says the Lord of hosts, where is my son if I am a father? I have no way of knowing that I am a father unless there is a son to bear witness to the fact that I am his father. So if a son honors his father and I be a father, where is my honor? Where is my son? So here, wrapped in the silence of the tomb, the great Redeemer lay, and then the revolving skies bring forth from the third, the appointed day. So this friend will allow me to tell you that story, and to give you just a little background, just a few words, he said. My father died when I was eight, and my world was shattered. I felt an outsider. Every family in the neighborhood seemed to be a complete unit, but I felt an outsider, and I took this feeling with me into school. I was never once a part of the student body, always an outsider. When I left school, I took the same feeling with me into business, and though I worked for very large companies and I served them well, and they were good to me, still I was never part of the company. I was always an outsider. This feeling of being an outsider drove me to the point of suicide, and this feeling also caused me to hurt those I love dearly. Those I love most in this world I seem to have hurt by the feeling 
of being an outsider. Well, he said three months ago, the most authoritative voice, the sundress voice, spoke from within me, and the voice said, I took away your father that you might find out who the father is. Several weeks later, the voice repeated that sentence. I took away your father that you might find out who the father is. And then a few weeks later, with even a greater authority and a still louder voice, it spoke the same thing, but it changed the pronoun. This is the change, and listen to it carefully. I took away my father, that I might find out who the father is. Everything is a plan. He said, when I awoke, I reflected on my life, and I saw it, the entire life, in a beautiful light, as I've never seen my life before. Prior to that, it was one of sadness, one of loneliness, one of chaos, one of confusion. And now I saw everything perfectly ordered, everything precisely ordered, everything done as it ought to be done, because I, for purposes known at the moment of my decision, I decided to impose upon myself that state. And so I took away my father, that I might find out who the father is, for the outside father is but a symbol of authority, a symbol of power. And I had to find that power, that authority within myself. I knew I couldn't find it on the Or I didn't know it when it happened. I was but eight, and here, everything was ordered. Everything was a plan that I may find in me the power and the authority represented by a father. You're told in Scripture in the 23rd chapter of the book of Matthew, Do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Verse 9 In spite of this, we have organizations the world over who will simply promote people as teachers, as priests of the world, and first thing they want to be called is father. And they all accept it. From the top down, they're all called father. And yet we are told in the book of Matthew, do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. In the same gospel, we are told, and heaven is within you. From within you, this father will come, and when he comes, you are he. Now what is this whole plan? We are told, as I have planned it, so shall it be. And as I have purposed it, so shall it stand. Isaiah fourteen twenty four. Purpose, in the strict sense, is the deliberately conceived plan proposed for action or to be realized in it, plan proposed for action or else to be executed in it. And so no one can stop the plan of God from coming to pass. Well, what is this plan? Listen to it carefully. They shall have no inheritance. I am their inheritance, and you shall give them no possession in Israel. I am their possession. The 44th chapter, the 28th verse of the book of Ezekiel. That I inherit God, that God is my possession. <clears throat> that is a plan. Now he speaks of anger. My friend uses or used the words chaos, loneliness. All the things that you would associate with an angry God. It was not an angry God as he knows today. But the Bible speaks of anger. And the anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and accomplished the intents of his mind. In the latter days, you will understand it clearly. Here from the book of Jeremiah, the 23rd chapter, verse 20. 
and so in the latter days you will understand it clearly. It cannot turn back until it executes and accomplishes the intents of its mind. And the intent is that you and I inherit God, while God is Father. It was revealed clearly in the New Testament. It is mentioned in the Old, but not revealed. And the New, it is completely revealed. But man will not see it, or at the moment he feels himself unable to grasp it. Now let us go to the first book of the New Testament. This is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, Matthew 1. 1. That's how the book begins. When you read it, wonder what is it all about. For if you read it, he's supposed to be the son of Joseph. And David is supposed to be the son of Jesse. And Abraham, the son of Terah. And here we find this opening. Wonderful dramatic statement. <clears throat> the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Well, every rabbi would admit that if the genealogy of Messiah or in the genealogy of Messiah, you mention Abraham and David. There would be the high watermarks, no question about it, for all would concede that it was to Abraham and his seed that the promise of God were, were made. No doubt about it as you go back and read the promises. So here on that day you will agree, but Jesus Christ, the son of David, it isn't mentioned in Scripture. Then what is it all about? As I stand before you tonight, I am not theorizing. I speak from experience, and I know this is true. But when man begins to awake, he first becomes his own father, and then he becomes his father's father. To become my own father, David, being my father, because I'm David. To become my father's father, and if Abraham be his father, then I am Abraham, the father of the multitudes. Now is this true? I tell you it is true. The gene this genealogy is not physical, it's all spiritual. The entire Bible is spiritual. Man not knowing that, he tries to trace it in a physical line, and it's not a physical line. The whole thing is spiritual. Man had no idea that this was altogether true, that man would eventually inherit God. He would actually awake to find himself the being that he formerly worshipped as something on the outside. To discover it as himself. And there was no way in eternity that he could ever reveal it to himself, save through a son. That no one knows. No one has ever seen God, but the only begotten son in the bosom of the father he has made him known. John 1.18 And you are taught to believe it was, and the Bible will tell you, that it is the priest. Or that the priest will tell you that it was Jesus Christ. It isn't so. So they'll tell you, yes, Jesus was his son. Every priest in the world, every minister I've ever met, if I ever have an argument with them, it is because of this point. All I can say, you haven't had the experience. When I quote scripture to them, they stand confounded, but tradition is a powerful force, and they can't quite overcome their training. So you say to them, listen to the words carefully. You want to see the Father? For no one has ever seen the Father. They'll tell you, while well, he who has seen me has seen the Father. How then can you say, show us the Father? I have been so long with you, Philip, and yet you want me to show you the Father? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How then can you say, show us the Father? 
You quote that from the 14th chapter of the book of John, and they stand amazed. Verse 8. They can't deny scripture, but reason cannot allow them to accept it. Here is the 14th chapter of the book of John. Now we go forward into the 16th chapter. I have spoken to you in figures. The hour is coming. I will no longer speak to you in figures, but tell you plainly of the Father. Verse 25. I have talked about the Father, but from now on I will tell you plainly, said he, of the Father. Well, who is he? Listen to the words again. I took away my father that I might find out who the father is. When you come to the third, as the hymn brought forth, as the skies in the revolution brought forth the third, the appointed day, what did they bring forth? Wrapped in the silence of the tomb was the great redeemer, and the tomb was the skull of man, completely wrapped in swaddling clothes, in the skull of man. When I first heard it years and years ago, from my old friend Abdullah, he said, Neville, never think of Christ, save you think of him as a child. People paint pictures of a matured man, always think of Christ as a Christ child, always. I, quit, I couldn't quite grasp it, didn't quite understand it. These words have been told me by a Negro Jew born in Ethiopia, of the Jewish faith. He knew more of Christianity than all the priests of the world. Just like Paul, he was born a Jew, born of the tribe of Benjamin. I am the son of Abraham, after the faith, but if you took it even physically, said he, I would still be after the flesh. But now I know the spirit. And he said to me, the Christ child is always the child. Now we turn to the eighth chapter of the book of Proverbs, and here is a child speaking. I am the first of this world, or I am the first of his works of old. Before he brought forth the heavens, I was beside him as a little child. I was daily his delight and rejected, or rejoiced in the works of men. Verses 22-30 The little child, scholars say, personify that, or rather, that is the personification of the wisdom and power of God. With that, I do agree. <clears throat> It is the personification of the form of a little child, of the power and wisdom of God. <clears throat> I was daily his delight. God delights in his creative power, personified as a little child, wrapped in swaddling clothes in the silence of the tomb, and the tomb is the skull of man. Comes that day in the life of a man, <clears throat> individualized man, or individual man, when suddenly he realizes I took away my father, my outside father, that I might find out who the father really is. The day comes, he finds the father. Well, if I am a father, then where is my honor? Where is my son? And then the son comes and looks you right in the face and calls you father. He calls you my lord. Well, my lord is an expression that every ancient boy used of his father. He always referred to his father as my lord. Adonai, always. And so David calls him, my father. So he asks the question, What think ye of the Christ? Whose son is he? And they answered, The son of David. For that's traditional. He said, Why then did David and the Spirit call him Lord? If David thus calls him Lord, how could he be David's son? And no one asked him any other question. Matthew twenty-two forty-two. 
Here is the most glorious experience, and every child born of woman is moving toward this experience, for the end is to awaken as God. The end is to inherit God. Now the promises were made to all of us, but the promise made to us differs from obtaining the promise. You and I who received the promise, we are regarded as heirs because we received the promise. But it differs from obtaining the promise. When we receive the promise, then we have received what was promised. And that which was promised is God himself. In between receiving the promise and receiving that which was promised is the pilgrimage of man. He moves on this earth as a pilgrim for unnumbered years until he comes to the point where he receives the promise in its fullness, that which was promised. And what was promised? God. They should have no inheritance. I am the inheritance. Give them no possession in Israel. I am their possession. You possess God in his fulfillment. You become God. Or you, you possess God in his fullness. You become God. You inherit God. God is Father. So you will never know you have really inherited God unless God's only begotten Son stands before you and calls you my Lord. And you know it beyond all doubt as he stands before you and calls you my Lord. No doubt whatsoever when David stands there and then you fulfill that portion of scripture. Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee, Psalm 2-7. So the journey is on, and this whole vast world of ours has but one purpose, for hatching. At length, for hatching ripe, he breaks the shell, Blake. And when he breaks the shell, then out comes that which calls you father. So I know from the depths of my soul that this voice has never lied to me, never. And so why did you make it? And then he replied, for hatching, just for hatching, for hatching out everything in this world. You can hatch out success, same world, hatch out failure. He allows you to hatch out anything in the world, but you will not thwart his purpose, which was to hatch out God. For God entered death's door and laid down at the grave of man to share with man all of his visions of eternity. And then he comes out, and when he comes out, you are he. You have no way of knowing that you are he were it not that his son calls you father. So if his son calls me father, then I am he. So I can say with the central figure, I and my father are one. John 10.30 This whole drama is a peculiar mystery, the mystery of Christ. You and I confront morning, noon, and night as we read the Bible or hear it discussed. <clears throat> it's no less a mystery today than it was in the day of the scribes. They couldn't understand it either, as they were inspired to put it down. And so the mystery that confronts us, the person of Jesus, is no less a mystery than it was then. If you and I come at it without, with our, I would say, uh, prefabricated misconceptions, we're no whit better off than they. They, too, have the same misconception. They are looking for a savior on the outside, as someone had a father which is a representative of power and authority on the outside. And call no man on earth father, for you have but one father, and he is in heaven, and heaven is within you. It isn't that you deny fatherhood as a physical state. You love him dearly, more so than ever. You see the party place, <clears throat> you see him in a new light, as a brother, 
while brotherhood without fatherhood is impossible. But you see everyone, including your earthly physical father, as brother. You see your own children as brother. You see everyone in the world as brother. But there could be no brotherhood without a fatherhood. Couldn't be. Any more than there could be a resurrection without death. How could you conceive of resurrection without death? So, wrapped in the silence of the tomb, the great Redeemer lay, till the revolving skies bring forth the third, the appointed day. So in this case, it was the third. Here, the first one, and the first one stated it in simple terms, as though another spoke. I took away your father that you might find out who the father is. That is, affirmed it to fulfill the 41st of Genesis, or the dream or the voice repeats itself. If it doubles it, then it means that shortly it shall be brought to pass, the significance of it. And so the second one was a repetition, a word for word of the first. But the third, the pronouns changed. I becomes now a different I altogether. The first, the I was another one speaking, but now listen to the words I took away in my father. Can't be another one speaking now. I took away in my father. That I might find out who the father is. Not that you might find out or he might find out, but that I might find out who the father is. Then you see the whole thing in an entirely different light. To use his words, I saw my entire life in a beautiful new light, that everything was ordered. Everything was perfect. There was no confusion anymore. That when my father made his exit from the sphere at my age of eight, my world then was shattered. I know now that was my purpose in the beginning, to find my true father. So that disappearance was all in order from my world. It drove me to the point of suicide and caused me to hurt those I loved best, and on reflection the whole thing was ordered. So as I planned it, so shall it be, as I have purposed, so shall it stand, Isaiah fourteen twenty four. And the purpose, as we defined it earlier, is a deliberately conceived plan. You conceived it for its ultimate end, which is God the Father. That's the plan of God to you and everyone in the world, would inherit him. If I inherit God and God is one, and you inherit God and God is one, and we inherit God and God is one, then are we not one? So in the end, there is only one, therefore there is only one son, and that one son is David. If I am his father, and you are his father, and we are his father, are we not the father? So it's a brotherhood and a fatherhood, one brotherhood, one fatherhood. This is a great mystery. So Paul, in his letter to Timothy, he said, Great, indeed, we confess, is the mystery of our religion. 1 Timothy 3.16 He uses the word mystery no less than 18 times. He knows it's a mystery, and the world thinks that it's a little secular history, and it isn't. It's a great mystery, contained within us, in this one, who is wrapped in the silence of the tomb, the tomb being our skull. And he is wrapped in the swaddling clothes, and here is Christ, who is God the Father. And so when you come and you awake, you are Christ, and therefore God the Father. How will you know that you are? Well, you'll ask the question, 
What do you think of Christ? Oh, he's the son of David. Then why did David in spirit call him father, call him my lord? If David thus calls him my lord, how could he be David's son? And you have the experience. You look into the mirror the next morning and the beard is still there to be shaved and you still have to wash this garment. You still have to feed it. And all that you were taught about Christ Jesus falls away. You see the garment that hides him now, for you had the, re the experience. You know it's not the outer garment of flesh, for flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. But you had the experience of spirit, and you know who you are. So you share it, or so you shave it and you feed it, and you go through the day, the normal day, knowing that you're going to fulfill scripture, and they will say to you, Well, if this happened to you, go and show yourself. Certainly you want to display it. Then you will say, after the words recorded in the seventh chapter of the book of John, For even his brother did not believe in him. His brother did not believe in him. So they want him to become a magician and go out into the world and be magical, do fantastic things. And he knew in the depths of his soul, if he did everything in the world that man could never do, they still would not believe. You can't believe until that happens. <clears throat> you may take it on credit, as it were, take it on approval. When I was a little boy, we ch charged everything and sent it home on approval. And so mother put the little shoes, and so if they didn't fit, you sent them back. But you took them on approval. You didn't have to pay for them. So you put all your clothes on, on approval. And at the end of the week, after you tried them all on, and either they didn't look right or they didn't feel right, Mother would simply call the place where she had them sent on approval, and they sent and picked them up. How they survived, I don't know. But that's how we conducted business when I was a boy. So what I tell you now, you may take home on approval and then send it back to me, reject it. For his brothers did not believe in him, and so if he did a thousand things he knew, that he would not be convincing. They would ask for the thousand and one. So no matter what you did, neither the number nor the character of the signs that he performed convinced them to the point where they believed, where they accepted it, and it became or and became sons of the father of Abraham. So I tell you from experience, this is going to happen to you. This morning, between 5.30 and quarter of six, and the gentleman is here tonight. As I was coming back from the depths of my soul, I heard the voice, and the voice is speaking to this gentleman who is here tonight. The voice asked a question, and his answer was, I'm a student of Neville. The voice said to him, I am like an eavesdropper. If you are a student of Neville, you are far, far along the path of salvation. And then I awoke. It was quite dark, but the mornings are dark now. So I would say between 5.30 and quarter of six, so I can say to him what I heard the voice say. What voice? I heard it, but it was a voice in the depths of my own being. For in the end, there's only one voice that speaks with authority. Only one voice. If you know in the depths of your own soul all that you haven't recorded in scripture, and it goes back thousands of years, and you're only fulfilling scripture. Scripture must be fulfilled in me. And if everything recorded there you have experienced, then that is your voice. The day will come you will know it isn't another. 
though you may have heard it from another. In this case, it came to him as another speaking with an authority, and so he knows that what I'm telling you is the truth. I'm not manufacturing it. This is not the product of emergency thinking. I'm not trying to in some way contrive it to tell you something. All of this is simply what I have experienced. And so I know that all these characters of scripture are contained in us, every one. But the important ones, as stated in the very first verse, this is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So man matures when he becomes his father's father. The whole thing begins with Abraham. Are we not told that all the nations of the earth will bless themselves because you believed? Read it in the 22nd chapter of the book of Genesis. Everyone in the world will bless himself because Abraham believed. Verse 18. So he goes back to that state, and who was that believing one but God? The word Abraham means the father of multitudes. That's what it really means. And so you go right back, the father of Jesus Christ. David? Well, David calls him my father. And then David, the son of Abraham? That is not analyzed in scripture. Because you go right back to be the father of your father, and then you know who he is. It is God who willed himself to go into the fabulous world of death and bring back an experience that would expand him beyond what he was when he started the journey. Now you know who he is, that God actually imposed upon himself this limitation that started this journey, a predetermined journey, that not a thing in the world could in any way divert or stop it. And at that very end, he comes out, but he comes out expanded beyond what he was when he started the journey. So you and I are coming out, inheriting God, expanded beyond the wildest dream as we conceive it here. So this experience of my friend is a fantastic experience, really. I took away your father, that's the first, that you might find out who the father is. And after that was repeated and affirmed, comes a change in pronoun. I took away my father that I might find out who the father is. Call no man on earth father, so I took him away. When you have but one father and he is in heaven, so if he is in heaven and heaven is within me, I must find him. If I find him, though, I have no child on earth, then I find father. Then show me the child. For a son honors his father. If then I am a father, where is my honor? So if I have found him, bring me that child. He's got to call me father, and I must know without any uncertainty that he really is my son. And may I tell you, you do not know anything in this world with the same assurance. You do not know any relationship. We trust our wives and we trust that our wives trust us. I mean, that is all taken on trust. So when we say, well, they have a little child, my father, in a humorous mood, when he toasted a friend of his, would always say, well, here's to the man who rocks his child and rocks his child alone. For there's many a man that rocks another man's child and thinks he's rocking his own. But in this case, you have no uncertainty when you see David. It is your son, and there is no other father, and may I tell you, no mother, just you and your son, and you know it more surely than you know any relationship in this world. And so everyone is destined to have that relationship, that experience. So he who has it fuses with me. 
for we are one. Everyone has it. Everyone has it fuses with me, or everyone who has it fuses with me without loss of identity. Therefore, in the end, the Lord is one and his name is one. Zechariah 14.9 So here the voice said to me, and it has never lied, it is for hatching. And the hatching is to bring forth God. Where? Outside. No, it can't be brought forth on the outside, brought forth in you as you. That's the hatching. Well, if he's brought forth within me, ask me, this must just be a big egg. And when the egg is broken, I come out and I am he. So the whole world is for hatching. But while we're playing our parts in the world of Caesar, we can hatch out success, hatch out health, hatch out better relationships, hatch out anything. But first of all, you must want to. It starts with the desire. It starts with the urge. God's imaginal dynamic is called anger in the Bible. And the anger of the Lord will not turn back, Jeremiah 23.20. That's the imaginal dynamic. You must lust for it. For God lusts to give himself to everyone as though there were no other in the world, just God and you, and finally only God, because you are God. That was a dynamic that could not turn back until it had executed and accomplished the intents of his mind. In the latter days you will understand it clearly. So the same urge, if you want to succeed in this world, you must have that same drive, that same desire in this world. A friend of mine gave me the paper yesterday, The Observer. It comes to us on Monday, and today she called to ask if I had seen on the 13th page a letter among the letters where Goldwater didn't have the lust for power, and that no person ever sat on our White House who didn't have that lust for power. You must have lust for power to sit in the body that represents the greatest power in the world. You must. If you have other things in your world, you don't have the same lust. So I'm not saying that you should have it, but if you wanted something in this world, other than what you now enjoy, you must really want it. Don't ask how, just really want it. And then if you really want it, this world is for hatching. It'll hatch it out. You may not want it after you get it, but that's all right. You can simply bring it to pass and then want something other than what you bring to pass. But you must want it. You start with a desire, with a lust. In fact, one of the words used to define the word prayer is lust, longing. It's a longing and then a yielding to that after which you long. That's how it's defined. But regardless of what you bring to pass in this world, I assure you from my own experience, God cannot fail in his purpose for you. And that purpose is that you inherit God. So if you have to impose upon yourself at, at moments a sad experience or some other thing in this world bear in mind that when it comes to you on that third day the appointed day when you hear who the father really is you'll reflect upon your life and see it in a more beautiful light and see it all is ordered all is perfect just as it ought to be because of your predetermined goal now let us go into the silence all right so there we have Neville Goddard's lecture from 1964, titled For Hatching. Thank you so much for joining me. I'll see you next time. Okay, there we have another of Neville Goddard's wonderful lectures. Thank you so much for joining me for today's episode. I hope everyone has a wonderful day, evening, afternoon, depending on where you are at in the world. 
Again, thank you so much for joining me today, and I will see you guys in the next episode.